Well, I'm not sure how familiar everybody is here with the history of this church, but I honestly believe that one of the key aspects about this church's ministry and legacy that my brother John Haywood has left us is that of having a, a very real heart for this community in which we are set, this community of, of Risker and the surrounding area, especially for those people who, as yet, are without faith in Jesus. And... Uh, as I've ministered amongst you over these past seven years or so, I've been eager to stoke that fire of mission and how we can, as a church, take the good news of Jesus into this community. And this past week, I was drawn once again to some beautiful words uh, in the Old Testament. And if you've got a, a Bible, there's one at the end of each pew, or maybe you've got a Bible app, why don't you open it up and let's look at Isaiah together. Isaiah 55. I just want to look at three verses with you this evening that I think, uh, certainly God has gotten hold of me through these verses this past week, and I, I think they have a lot to teach us uh, about our mission into the world today. So Isaiah 55, you can follow it on the screen if you want, but if you want to follow it in your Bibles, that would be really good. Isaiah 55, verse 1, Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. The word inviting is an interesting word, isn't it? I guess really you'd probably agree with me. It's, it's got two meanings. Uh, you can say this spot's very inviting. If you've got the top of Tumbalam. You might feel that that's a very inviting place uh, to be or to scenic drive. You, you know how it is. You, you go somewhere and somewhere you just know it's a very inviting place. It becomes a special place for you. It's the sort of place that maybe you like to go back to again and again. There is a bench on the way to um, Mumbles opposite, not far, Dick Barton's Fish and Chip Shop. Is up on the, you know the Mumbles, Oystermouth Road, Dick Barton's fish, best fish and chips in Swansea, by the way. That's up there, and down on the front, where the land train goes in the summer, blinking nuisance, there's a bench. That's one of my very inviting places. I have had all sorts of experience there. My first snog took place on that bench. All sorts of things that I can remember. But it's a place I love to go back to. It's a, a walk that I love to do. And there'll be places, in all seriousness, that you can think of right now that are very special to you because they're very inviting. And that's, that's a precious idea behind an invitation. But you can also say, can't you, Tom's inviting us to dinner. So... He wants us to go around to his house on Thursday to have dinner. And by that, we know that it means something special is happening. He wants us to come, and we've had an invitation to go there. 
And I, I was just thinking about this, you know, at the beginning of Isaiah 55, God invites us in both ways. Because he's brilliant to hang out with. He's a good spot. But he's always saying to us, come, come on. He's inviting us. I think that this text in Isaiah 55 shows us this in a beautiful, beautiful way. Come, come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine, milk, without money and without cost. There's an amazing context to these verses in Isaiah 55. Let me do it briefly for you. If you turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah 53, you'll see how Isaiah describes in some amazing detail how in 700 plus years time, Jesus is going to come. And he's going to come and he's going to suffer and bear the sins of God's people and die in our place and rise again. He's saying all of this is going to happen 700 years from when he was ministering. So Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6, he talks about Jesus, the suffering servant. He took up our pain, bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's an amazing passage of scripture. It's one that we're familiar with. But remember, this is being written of 700 years before Jesus was born. It's all about Jesus, God's servant, coming as a substitution. Jesus in our place, taking our sins upon himself. A core doctrine of the Christian faith. Takes our sins on himself. Isaiah goes on in verse 8. He says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? <laughs> he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. So he didn't die for his own sins. But for the sin of his people. The people who trust him. The people who follow him. The likes of you and me. So 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah is foretelling, prophesying that this is what's going to happen. The suffering servant will come and he will take our sins upon himself. He will die in our place. He will be our substitute. The wrath that we deserve to receive from God will be meted out on him. But more than that, he goes on and he talks about the fact that Jesus will rise again. In verse 12, he says, Therefore I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressions. So death wasn't the end for Jesus. He ever lives to intercede for us, making our prayers and requests known to God. That's why we pray to God in the name of Jesus, because we believe he's alive and well. Thank you very much. 
reigning in heaven tonight, taking your prayers and my prayers and making them known to God the Father. So death wasn't the end. He bore the sins of many, but God honoured him with the spoils of victory over death and sin. And now he lives and reigns in heaven until he comes again. 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Isaiah the prophet is talking about what's going to happen. It's amazing. Isaiah 53, looking ahead to the death and resurrection of Jesus. 700 years before it happens. Then in Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah foresees some of the amazing blessings that will come to God's people because the Messiah has overcome the problem of their guilt and sin that's described there in Isaiah 53. Let me just show you one of those. It's going to lead us to the great invitation we're going to see in Isaiah 55 in a moment. I want you to picture the scene. It's Wednesday, May the 31st, 1792. Remember it, Sheila? Okay. Well, you know this date, Sheila, don't you? Because it's very important, isn't it? Because Sheila's a good BMS woman. She knows that's the day a guy called William Carey preached a very famous sermon. He was to become the father of modern missions. He preaches a sermon to his fellow Baptist pastors from Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. He argues that this text is a great missionary text and the point of it is that God wills for his people to keep growing and growing and growing until all the peoples of the world have been given the opportunity to believe the Christian gospel. What does it say? This is what it says. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. In other words, one of the greatest blessings that could ever come to the people of God because of Jesus' death and resurrection is that all the nations of the world could be touched. Think about it. Look what's happening in the field of modern missions. Not just by the time you get to 1792. Look what's happening now. There are people in Afghanistan tonight coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you know that? There are. We have mission personnel working in some of the darkest places of planet Earth. But there are people coming to know Christ. Places like North Korea. Places like Syria. Iraq. Iran. All over the world, the gospel message is spreading. And it's wonderful to see, isn't it, how the message of Jesus' redemption power isn't just for the Jews, isn't just for us in the West. No, no, it's for all the nations, for all the world. So all of this is a bit of a backdrop to this amazing invitation that you get there in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come. All you are thirsty, come. Come to the waters. And you have no money, come. Buy and eat. 
come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Isn't that amazing? I can see you're all absolutely thrilled by it. This is a fantastic passage of scripture. Three things I want to ask tonight. Very simply, who's invited? What are they offered? And what are they told to do in order to get it? Question number one, who are invited? The answer is two kind of people are invited. The first kind are described in verse one. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, eat, come buy wine, milk, money, don't need it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So if you're thirsty, if you're skint, you know what skint is? Is that a word you know in Riska? Yeah, not just Swansea Jacks that know it. Broke, penniless, all right? You can come. So who are invited? The thirsty, all right? There it is. And those who don't have any dosh. No dollar, as my daughter would say, right? That's it. Now, do you see yourself there, I wonder? It's interesting, isn't it? The first kind of person that God invites to come to him are thirsty people who can't pay for what they need. They're thirsty and they're skint. So let me say a word to those of us in that category. You may have come here this evening thirsting. There's something in you that is thirsting. Your heart might feel a bit like brown grass. Remember the summer of, was it 76? Wow. Fairwood Common was on fire in Swansea. I was only young, living there. Everything was ablaze. It was absolutely amazing. Gan Goch in Swansea, near Gosainen, that was on fire. Was Tumbalem on fire? I don't know. Was it? No, no, well, fires everywhere. And the grass was parched, wasn't it? Do you remember how brown it was? It hasn't rained for such a long time. And if you think about it, sometimes life can get a bit like that. Many people go through life, and there may be people here tonight, who honestly feel parched. There's something missing. Something's not quenching that desire within you for more. Hearts can get like that. When old hopes have dried up. When dreams have waited for fulfillment and just died on the vine. When you find yourself down another cul-de-sac or a dead end. Empty. Unfulfilled dissatisfied, knowing there's got to be something more, but just not getting it. Everything looks out of reach. You've lost your strength. There's no motivation. There's, and there's this longing, this, this thirst. Well, the Lord says, you're a good candidate. Come. Come. Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters, and you have got no money, you come. You buy and you eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come. Come, 
if you're thirsty, with no resources, no bargaining position, no track record, no power, no trust, prestige, no pull, if that's you this evening, please hear God's invitation. What he's saying to you is, you come. Enjoy the quenching waters of what he's done for you in Jesus, which Isaiah the prophet was speaking of 700 years before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem. There's a second kind of person there as well, isn't there? Do you notice that? It's not just those who are mm, thirsting after something. The second kind of person whom God invites, and, and I'm glad because I think the rest of us who maybe don't feel like we fit into that first category, I think we fit into this one, if we're honest. That kind of person is described there beutifully in verse 2. <laughs> they are the ones who spend money on what's not bread and labor on what doesn't satisfy. God says, look, listen, listen to me, and eat what's good, and, and you'll delight in the richest of fare. In verse 1, he said, well, come on, you, you come. You've got no money, you come. In verse 2, he's talking to those of us who've got a bit of money. Oh, yeah, there's money in the bank. We're, we're spending money, yeah, fine, everything's fine. We've got the strength to work. We're, we're, we're going about our labor, it's fine. The first kind of person is kind of spiritually bankrupt. They, they know it, but... They know that they're thirsty and broke, but the second kind of person isn't there yet. They've got money, they're spending it, their life's going on, all right? But there's still something missing. It can be very frustrating to be in that category. Are you in that category tonight? You're not burnt out, you're not at the end of your tether, but I don't know, for all your spending, for all... You're working for, for all the dreams you've still got and you're still chasing, for all that searching that's still going on and that experimenting. You may have a different job and a, you may have moved, you may have a different car, a different house, a different wife, a new computer, a new gadget, a new toy, a new book, a new bike, a new barbecue, new season ticket, new diet, new looks. Yet there's still something missing. Still no pot at the end of the rainbow. No fountain of youth yet. And every triumph seems to soon peter out. The applause seems to be fading. The car's boring. Fashions change. Everything new eventually gets old. The options just get fewer and fewer. Is that you? If you're honest, is that you? You know there's a canyon of need and longing on the inside, no matter how self-sufficient you look on the outside. God knows that even better than you or I do. He has you and me in mind, doesn't he, when he says things like, why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So do you see it? There's two kinds of people here. Invited by the Lord, the thirsty who are broke and cannot play, uh, pay, and the thirsty who think they can pay and kind of work their way to some kind of satisfaction. I think every one of us falls into one of those two categories. No matter who you are, you may well have plenty of money and everything's absolutely fine, or you may be parched and broke and skint and wondering, how on earth are you going to pay the bills? So who are invited? Well, it's quite clear. The next question is this. What are we offered then? What are we offered? I think the answer is given in three steps. The benefits are pictured for us in verse 1. The quality and the quantity of those benefits are mentioned in verse 2. And the reality behind 
of the pictures is described in verse 3. The benefits are very interesting, actually. In verse 1, we're offered water, wine, and milk. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You've got no money, you come. You buy and eat. Come buy wine, milk, without money, without cost. I always find it interesting, you know, you've got three beverages here, haven't you? Water, milk, and wine. Now, water. Water's an interesting one. Water's about refreshment. My son, Jonathan, is not a great lover of water. Children can be a bit like that, can't they? Even when they're in their late 20s. And yet when he was thirsty, when he'd been on the rugby pitch or something and he'd come in, there was nothing like a glass of water. Even if you put a little bit of Robinson's in it or something, you know. Water, you want water. I'm like that a lot. I, I love just Ooh, the tap water around here is gorgeous. I like as well the 17 pence bottle of carbonated water that you can buy in Tesco. Somebody stuck it in a soda stream. That's all they've done. But I love it. Out of the fridge, ice cold. You know what I mean? Water. How many of you like water to quench your thirst? Yeah, lots of us do. Can identify with that. That's what it does, isn't it? It's water that you want. The psalmist talked of the refreshing of still waters in Psalm 23, didn't he? He leads me beside still waters. He restores, he refreshes my soul. God's inviting us to come and partake of the waters. That's what they used to say years ago, wasn't it? To go and partake of the waters. Come, come you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Have that quenching thirst, God. Then he talks about milk. Very interesting. The ongoing nourishment that you need. When someone is gasping for life, you know, you, you give them water. But when you want a little baby to grow, you wouldn't just go up to your baby, would you, and go, oh, want some water? You'd be reported to the authorities. You have water if you're mixing it with SMA. Have I got that right? Yeah? You know, milk, you want to give milk to a child. It's not just about, you know, God's not just about emergencies or mountain peaks. He's for health. He's for the long haul. He invites you to come and, and have that refreshing water, but then he wants you to grow and be strong. He wants to give you milk. And then he wants to give you wine. Now then. Why? That's an interesting one, isn't it? I think this is about God wanting to give us a bit of exhilaration. Well, think about it. We want to live, don't we? We don't want to die. You know, I know where I'm going, but I don't want to go there just yet. Thank you very much. We want to be strong and stable. We want to be refreshed and we want to be nourished. But that's not all we need in life, is it? Blinking egg, it doesn't matter how stoic and unemotional and phlegmatic and laid back and poker faced you can seem to other people. There is a kid in every single one of us, isn't there? Oh, come on. When haven't you skipped around the house in your underwear? Hey, you have. Radio 2 on in the background. You've been singing. When you get in the shower, you could be on X Factor. 
Every one of us, there are times when we want just exhilaration. We want to skip and shout and dance and play and, and run and jump and laugh. In my head, I can do it all. But the older I'm getting, I find I can't do as much. But there is. And I think that's the sense here. Verse 1 says that God is willing to revive us from the heat of Death Valley with the miracle of his water and then make us strong and healthy and stable with the miracle of milk, but then give us endless, ever-fresh exhilaration in the miracle of his wine. Flip me, look at you. Why are so many Christians? We should be exhilarated. God has given us life in abundance to enjoy. The last part of verse 2 describes the, the quality and the quantity of these benefits of water, milk, and wine. Look at it. Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. The word good there, by the way, do you know what it means in the original Hebrew? Yeah, pucker, top-notch, the best. Listen, listen to me. Eat what is, and you will delight in the richest affair. The water's good. The water he's offering you and me tonight is good, and it's plentiful. The milk is good, and it's plentiful. And the wine, the wine. Wow, Jesus knew what it was to turn water into wine. Flip me, he did. And it was the best. Bible, again and again, talks about the riches of God's glory. The fullness of joy at his right hand. God's into giving the best. Stuff that never runs out. Jesus alluded to it, didn't he, in John chapter 4. Whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never thirst. The water I shall give him will be coming of a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in verse 3, God tells us what the reality is behind all this imagery. Give, look, literally incline, you know. I find I'm doing that a bit more nowadays, you know. Inclining your ear, come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. In verse 1, you remember, he said, come, come, come to the waters, come, come for wine, you come for milk. In verse 3, what's he saying? Come, come to me, come to me. God is our living water, God is our nourishing milk. God is our exhilarating wine. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. That's what the psalmist said. But we can actually be even more specific here. He goes on to say in verse 3 that when we come to him, he makes a covenant with us. Do you see that? 
That's amazing. That kind of covenant is the same sort of covenant that we've seen in previous weeks when we were doing some work with Samuel, do you remember? And, and David. This is the kind of covenant that he made with King David in 2 Samuel 7. A covenant of steadfast, sure love. This means when you come to God, he binds himself by an unbreakable oath to pursue you with goodness and mercy all your days, right into eternity. God's giving me ever-refreshing water, ever-strengthening milk, ever-exhilarating wine. Again and 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 again. You get, you get what I'm saying? Never runs out. It never runs out. George and I were having a joke this morning. I was busy singing. You couldn't hear me, praise the Lord. In there. And he said, what have you taken? What have you had? But sometimes the joy of the Lord just bubbles over. And that's the thing, ever exhilarating, ever refreshing, ever strengthening. Which brings us to the final very practical question, and then you can go for a refreshing cup of tea. And that's this. What are we told to do to get these benefits? It's an amazing passage. There are 12 instructions or imperatives in these three verses, the most pleasant are the most inviting 12 imperatives or instructions you will ever, 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 ever hear. They're awesome. You go through them. I'd encourage you when you go home, just pick them out. They're just beautiful. And remember in verse 1 he says, you, you come. You come to the waters. In verse 3 he says, no, you come to me. Come to me. God himself is the water, the milk, the wine. That's what we're being called to tonight. You're thirsty. You feel life's not quite doing it for you at the moment. I want to ask you, where are you at then with, with Jesus? Where, where are you at with him? Because I think the only way we can truly experience that kind of nourishment that we long for, that refreshment that we long for, that exhilaration that we long for is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who will meet us where we're at what are we told to do give ear come to me that's all it is just come to me he says hear me that your soul may live I will make an everlasting covenant with you my faithful love promised to David. This is what God's going to do for you. You may not have it all sussed out. And you may not understand the ins and outs of it all. And you want to be able to quote a dozen Bible passages or know which hymn is which. It doesn't matter. All the scriptures tells us is, just come. Just come. come as you are. Come to me, he says. Come. What if there's somebody here tonight that needs to do that? Flip me. I know I need to do it because I need to constantly come to him and be refreshed by him and exhilarated by him and nourished by him 
But I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who for the first time acknowledges and understands tonight a light bulb moment has happened. What? Yeah, actually, I do need to come to him. I need to hear him. Because I need to be refreshed and I need to be nourished and I need to be exhilarated in a way that only he can do. If you're distant from God, you, you need to come. You need to come tonight. Don't put it off. You need to draw near. If you've drawn near in recent days, or, or maybe it's just happening this evening, but you're holding back, just looking, you know. Lots of people do that with God, don't they? A little bit of window shopping. You need to buy something, but mm, there's no price. Listen, there's no price. You're spiritually bankrupt. You can't afford it. But he's saying to you tonight, you come. Come on. Take the water. Take the milk. Take the wine. Take it as if, as if you could afford it because one has bought it for you. One has paid the price for you. It would be lovely to walk into a shop and them to say, you have what you like. It's all paid for for you. Well, you can come to God tonight. And he's paid the price for you. And you can leave here tonight with a very, very different future ahead of you. If you've made the transaction and you hold the water and the milk and the wine in your hand, then what do you need to do? You need to eat. God's not a thing to be studied. He's a person to be experienced. Yeah. Experience him. Food and life and joy for the soul. And finally, if you've eaten, delight yourself in him. Say with the psalmist, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Come, come. You thirsty? Come, come on. He'll refresh you. He'll nourish you. He will exhilarate your life in ways that you can't begin to imagine.